Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. I'm Jonathan, your host. And here at Redbeard Outdoors, I talk about faith, family, fitness, and the outdoors because I'm currently on a journey myself as I continue to learn about hunting, my passion for the outdoors, sharing it with my family, gear items that I use that I don't like, that I do like, all of those things. And on top of that, I get to have amazing conversations with guests that we have on the show and share those with you. That's what I'm all about. I want you to live a happy, healthy, and more successful life than you're currently living right now. And so I'm sharing all this information with you, things that I would be doing anyway. I just want to share it with you. So thanks for coming along for the ride today. Being Saturday, we have an amazing conversation with Melissa. And Melissa is just an outstanding individual. I met her at a Total Archery Challenge recently. It was last year, actually. She shot with our group. And she blows my mind with all the activities that she does. She participates in service in her community. She lives in St. Martin on those islands out there in the Caribbean. Go look it up, guys. And she is just an overall badass. And so getting to talk with her, hearing about her adventures, uh, sparks a fire that I just want to share with you guys as she goes through and explains how she got into all of these different events from, uh, from shooting guns competitively to now archery, She's uh, going to be a packer for a sheep hunt. There's so many things that we go into into this conversation, so you'll definitely want to check it out. Before we get into the full conversation, guys, I want to invite you to Redbeard's Fit Crew and the First Form Outdoors group on Facebook. Guys, we're not trying to sell you anything. We want you to be a better version of you. That's, that's it, period. So I have linked up with First Form and First Form Outdoors for the last couple of years, and I want you to be a part of that family as well. You guys will not regret it. We went up to Total Archery Challenge this last weekend here in Utah, and our booth was hopping, guys. It was outstanding to see the energy, people coming over, asking questions, getting to know us, and it was just a great weekend, an awesome time. So if you came to that event and checked it out, thank you so much. If you haven't checked out First Form Outdoors, I highly recommend it. Definitely join the group. The link's down below. I also want to announce a new partnership. I've got a new partnership, guys, that I want to share with you guys. It is from Black Ovis. They are here in Utah. Black Ovis is an outstanding group of individuals. I love going there to shop for gear. And they're here in Utah. They're local, but they also provide tons of opportunities uh, throughout all the different avenues of gear from glassing to boots to backpacks, etc. You definitely want to go check them out. So the code there will be Redbeard10 going forward. If you need any gear, get on it, guys, because we're getting close to season. It's going to be here just in a couple weeks, and you want to be as prepared as possible. It's crazy to think that a whole year has gone by since last September. And man, I am excited. I hope you are too. With that being said, let's get into this awesome conversation here with Melissa so you can get to hear about her adventures, what she has done to be engaged in all of these different avenues of uh, sporty, outdoorsy events, and the many things that she has learned uh, through her travels and all of the adventures that she's had. So without further ado, here's a conversation with Melissa. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I have an amazing guest for you guys today. Her name is Melissa. Is it Bardfield? Yep, Bardfield. Perfect. So we've got Melissa Bardfield, and she yep. is someone that I met at Texas Tech. Now, I I can't remember. I'd seen you on social media before, 
Um, and I just thought it was pretty interesting that there was, there's not many women that are into all of these things that are male dominated sports. And I love the fact that you just, and then I, I was learning a little bit more about you at Texas tech and how um, you travel literally across the, the ocean. You come to the U S cause she's in St. St. Martin and uh, comes to the U S mm-hmm. and just enjoys going to tack, doing all these other events, trains jujitsu. Uh, you love firearms. You love hunting. You love all of, you've got all this stuff going on that I'm kind of actually jealous that you've got all these mm-hmm. things going on. Um, and I think it's awesome. So I just figured it was an interesting story to tell. And, uh, and so I wanted to bring you on and, and let the listeners know who you are and then use you kind of as a resource, especially for women that are looking to get into these male dominated okay. sports. So, uh, who, who are you, Melissa? Okay. Uh, my name is Melissa. Well, first of all, I think we met in Utah at Park City uh, on the very last day. I That's think it was right. the prime course. I had already shot that morning and I jumped on a course right before the chairlifts ended. And I did like the first 10 targets on my own and kind of jumped through and, uh, and met up with uh, your crew of people shooting. And what I remember about that is you know, in target archery, everyone's like, shh, be quiet, no phones. And you and your buddies were like smacking each other with arrows and poking each other on the butt at your full draw. And like, it was, <laughs> it was neat to see that, that aspect of it, you know? So that's a cool thing about tack is, you know, like flies are buzzing and your friends are talking trash and you still, you know, still shoot. So more uh, a dress yeah. rehearsal for bow hunting. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. That's, uh... You, de- you definitely dove yeah. into my type of friends and how we like to push each other's boundaries uh, when it comes to shooting our bows. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah it was fun. It was nice just to see that. And I love that about tech, you know, that it's all kinds of people shooting. So, and bow hunters. Um, so that was kind of a shooting total archery challenge was really, when I first heard about it, I was like, wow, that sounds so cool. I want to be, you know, good enough to be able to do that. And then I shot my first tack and I was like, okay, all right. And then by my second tack, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to bow hunt or I'm ready to to try to attempt it. Because when I first kind of thought about it, I was like, if I'm going to do this, because I'm not, I've never hunted before. I want to be absolutely lethal. I want, because there's so much more to learn and know about hunting. I wanted the archery just to be, you know, second nature and down and total archery challenge really kind of you know, push that for me. Cause you never know what your, you know, arrow does in the shooting lane and branches. And so you shoot tack and say, Oh yeah, I can shoot sitting down. I can shoot kneeling. I can shoot standing on the log or, you know, the case may be, or in my case, my arrows are going to hit the over, overhang over uh, branches more than, you know, you at 70 or 80 pounds. So, yeah. yeah. No, it's very true. Uh, yeah, so the question was how to, um, and the question was, how did I get into archery? No, first question is just, who are you? <laughs> okay, who am I? Um, I was born in Boston, and I've grown up on the island of St. Martin. So it's a small island in the Caribbean. Uh, my father worked here when I was a kid. So as soon as I was done with high school, I was like, all right, that's it. I'm moving to St. Martin. Uh, became a scuba diving instructor. Did that for a year before I ended up going to college. Uh, studied ecotourism. I designed a major in, uh, in ecotourism, trying to use tourism as a means for conservation, moved back to St. Martin and ended up doing radio. 
Uh, and I had started um, playing records, DJing in college. So um, I was playing records, playing parties. That was kind of my, my life. And I had really loved just the music part of it and learning to blend beats. And it just started with a friend's uh, roommate who had uh, turntables and boxes and boxes of uh, dance hall 45s, seven inch records. So just practice mixing and just absolutely loved it. So that was something that I kind of, that was a, a previous path. Um, moved to St. Martin. After a few years in St. Martin, I end up uh, getting a, a job opportunity in London uh, and uh, working in the music industry and music publishing and started uh, training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu when I was in London. I'd done another martial art in St. Martin and, you know, really got beat up, got my ass kicked. But it was a big kind of changing point in my life that it was something that was really hard. But I knew if I missed one class, I would never go back. So it was something I kind of pushed myself to to do and continue that really kind of changed changed who I was. Um, and then in London, started jiu-jitsu and started training randomly with Roger Gracie, who was multiple world champion, Gracie family. Didn't know anything about them, but I knew that the Gracies could fight, you know, but didn't know he was a big of a deal as he was. He was just my, my professor, he and his dad. Uh, and then uh, started competing, just got a bug, did my first competition, big competition, which was the Europeans and just absolutely fell in love with it. And just that kind of, I don't know, the training and the work and then your heart thumping kind of that part of the competition that I absolutely loved. And my brother was in the army, so he was in, in Iraq for that whole year. So I figured if, you know, he's in Iraq as an MP, you know, being careful of snipers and roadside bombs like I can go do this and do this kind of simulated you know murder in pajamas um so the whole time he was in Iraq I was you know focused on on competing like if he's a warrior there I want to you know do this for myself um so I had moved back to St. Martin after after London and just started teaching my friends kids jujitsu because I didn't have anywhere to train at that time I was a purple belt so I just started teaching um, just because it was super fun. And when I started jiu-jitsu, I watched the, uh, the kids' classes were right, right before my class. And I would watch these kids and watch the professor teaching them. And I was like, that looks so fun. I want to help. I just, you get to throw kids around when they're wearing handles, you know? It's like wrestling with kids. It's super fun. And it was a great program. So as soon as I got my blue belt, I was like, hey, can I help with this with the kids? Because uh, I thought they would make fun of me. If, you know, a kid is a yellow or an orange belt and I'm a white belt, they'd be like, I'm not listening to you. Um, <laughs> so back to starting my school as a purple belt, uh, it just grew. Um, so just started with some friends' kids and more friends' kids. And I was training at a private MMA gym. And then I rented from a dance school on my own and eventually started, got my own space, and then teamed up with a really good Muay Thai instructor. So we have jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai. Uh, and now we have self-defense as well. Um, but just started a, a school and it just grew and grew and grew. And now it's been uh, 12 years uh, and I have uh, Hansel Gracie St. Martin. So we have the Hansel Gracie affiliate. So I ended up getting my black belt in New York. I would go back to New York to train and get ready for competitions. And uh, the school just continued to grow. And now it's at a point where I have three brown belts and uh, I can leave them to, to run the school. Um, and I used to be very active competing uh, every year, there was a big uh, competition called the Master World Championship. So it's a world championship for, uh, you know, age categories over 30. And that for me was a big one. It was at the end of the summer. So I would close for kids classes in the summer and it let me uh, train and, um, 
and prepare for that competition. Uh, and then uh, a year after Hurricane Irma, we had a massive hurricane in 2017 in September. Um, and then the following year, so that year was a little crazy. Everything was, you know, rebuilding and uh, the island was completely destroyed. So it was a lot, it was a, a different year. I wasn't in the gym working out and I wasn't, you know, training. It kind of changed the focus because after you've been, you know, mopping for so many hours, you know, the idea of working out was just not, you know, not in my, my mindset. Uh, so I went to New York to train to get ready for the competition. And uh, first week, uh, um, sprained my MCL, just snap, heard it pop and uh, couldn't train, you know, had a hard time walking and was like, what am I going to do all summer? So I ended up starting uh, taking firearms classes. Um, so this was the summer of 2018. Uh, I love taking classes. I love taking notes. I love being like a super dork. And uh, shooting was something that's just so uh, measurable, you know, like your accuracy and your speed. There's no faking it, you know, and it's all like, can you do this? Can you, you manipulate the trigger without, you know, putting extra muscular input in the in your hands and moving the muzzle? So it's so um, measurable and tangible that I really fell in love with it. So I was taking as many classes as I could. And then the following year. Um, and eventually I took the uh, five-day instructor class and uh, ended up being recruited uh, to work as an instructor at the, the place that I had been, you know, a student for about a year. So a year after taking classes there, I was actually like just amazed that they gave me a, you know, a badge that opened doors and keys to the armory and, uh, and a range that I could train in. If I wasn't teaching, I could find an open range and, and train. No, I couldn't even get ammo at a discount. Uh, and I had always kind of thought archery was cool. And I had a friend who uh, was into archery and he uh, set me up, set up a compound bow for me and gave me a lesson. And it was awesome. I just, I absolutely loved it. And I really remember distinctly the first time I drew back and felt the let off. It was like, whoa, like it just felt so cool. Just the, the, feeling and then the the thwack and the sound of the arrow I just fell in love with it so I'm like all right I'll just be here for a few more arrows and just you know a few more hours just shooting arrow after arrow with his bag target and I had already contacted a range I saw that there was uh, an archery league and I goes like great I want to do it can I borrow a bow they're like no you need your own so uh, archery league started Wednesday I had my lesson on Monday that was September 1st 2021 I bought a bow from Coyote Creek Archery the next day, started Archery League that following Wednesday. And, uh, and the Archery League was awesome because it was a whole group of archers, all different levels. Uh, and one was a, you know, really experienced bow hunter. And I remember he helped, you know, move my, my sights because I had, a, I bought a, a PSC ready to shoot, you know, everything, all accessories included uh, with a five pin, uh, five pin uh, sight. And, you know, just, oh, you're moving my sight. Okay, I trust you. You know, just sighting it in from the beginning was uh, just so much to learn. Um, and I just shot my bow just, just relentlessly. I just loved it. You know, at lunch break, I'd finish my lunch and I'd go, you know, set up my target in the, the big sandy berms at work. And uh, I was able just to practice a ton. Um, 
it was right at the beginning of deer season. So I hadn't done my hunter's education. I was only pulling 35 pounds to start. So it's like, okay, next year I'm wrapping my head around this. So I want to try and get, uh, get better at it and uh, eventually bow hunt. And I think spiritually as a meat eater, I always wanted to hunt and eat, you know, harvest my own meat and, and, and eat it and cook it and feel what that feels like. And it had started from a few decades earlier. One of my first students went on this like wilderness uh, bushcraft survival with her dad. And this is like a 10 year old girl who's like, yeah, we learned how to make a, a trap and we snared a rabbit and we cleaned it and cooked it and ate it. And it was like, you're 10 years old and you're learning this. Like I'm a grown woman. Like I, I wanted to, I felt like a, it's an ethical, moral, spiritual obligation. If I'm going to eat meat, I need to know what it took to get that meat. Um, so I always kind of had that in my mind that I, that that's kind of as a life thing of something that I wanted to do uh, was to actually hunt and harvest and, and cook and clean an animal and eat it. Um, so so that brought me to, to archery. And the first time I pulled back that bow, I was like, it's going to be with a bow. And I had previously got a cross rifle, a SIG cross, you know, a very light hunting rifle. So I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to be ready. And I got my bow. I'm like, it's not going to be with it. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Total Archery Challenge. And now um, there's nothing I'd rather do than shoot tack. Um, and especially coming from the shooting community where I became a lot more focused on the results and my score rather than the process of getting better. In the beginning, like it felt good to have a clean run. It felt good to, to shoot fast and accurate. And then I kind of was like trying to, to prove myself, to prove my worth, because uh, I'm not military, I'm not law enforcement. And I was working with a company that was really known for their military and law enforcement and all the other instructors from military and law enforcement. So I really wanted to like prove myself, you know, with my, my, my classification and scores. So it went from something that I loved to something that was so kind of objective based, not performance based. Um, so like, <laughs> for example, you, you shoot a stage and everyone's, Oh, what's your score? What's your hit factor? What's your classification? You know, Tack, they're like, hey, did you have fun? Did you lose any arrows? You know, it was more uh, the process uh, of, of just doing it. You know, we're all, there's no, no one's mm -hmm. keeping score. I mean, some people, but just that process of it. So to go from something that became so, uh, you know, emotional and pressure-based to something that just, I absolutely loved. And uh, I had a, um, a, a competitive buddy who was a very, very good shooter who saw how much I loved archery. And he's like, you need to earn that. Like, before you pick up your bow, you know, dry fire for 15 minutes. And it was like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, instead of like, let's do this. I want to get better. So, <clears throat> so archery quickly replaced um, firearms. And it's quieter and cheaper. And, uh, and my dog can hang out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah exactly so i mean there's a lot of points i want to hit on there because you've got you've got just this amazing experience and it hasn't really hasn't been handed to you it's something that you have a consistent theme in your life where you see something and you go after it and you're willing to travel literally to other countries uh and then you know coming from the island over to the u.s um the mainland i guess uh you'd call it and and so you're all over the place and you're just, you're not being handed these opportunities. You're going out and earning them. 
I mean, you've got a black belt in jujitsu. Not many people can say that. That is outstanding. And I guarantee you, people seeing you and walking up, I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I mean, you told me you trained and I was like, oh, cool. She's probably blue or purple, but freaking black belt. That's amazing. Um, you know, you've got some awesome things that you've gone out and done. Again, it's not a honorary thing. You went out and actually did it. So that's a huge deal. Um, and then I would agree with you with firearms. I love my firearms. I really do. Um, but it's easier for me to be able to take a bag target or a foam target, throw it in the truck, throw my kids' bows in the truck, and go shoot for a couple hours than it is to, you know, get get a play get to a place where we can shoot our firearms. Uh, plus, the ammo's you know recoverable. You can use it over and over again. And, uh, and, and you don't have to worry about ear protection. You don't right. worry. There's a bunch of other factors that go into it as well. And so, um, with, with firearms now with hunting, uh, this is something that, you know, I've, I've heard, and then I've started really, uh, it, it makes more sense that the bang of a, of a gun takes you out of the moment. Right. And so even, even with all the training and everything like that, when you go hunt and you shoot your rifle, Nothing wrong with rifle hunters. Uh, I absolutely think there's a time and a place. I love, like I said, my firearms. But with a bow, you're present from the moment that you're on the mountain or wherever it is that you're hunting until that arrow is released. And even after the arrow is released, you're able to watch the flight of your arrow. You're able to watch it go through the hide of whatever animal it is that you're, you're hunting and watch the experience rather than with a rifle, there's a bang, takes you out of the moment. You lose the animal in the scope. You're asking your buddy what they saw. It's, it's a very different experience uh, with hunting as well. And so, again, absolutely love my firearms. But there's something I almost want to say in our DNA that just loves arrows, loves mm -hmm. hunting with a bow, and even just shooting a bow and watching that flight of the arrow. It's something completely different and it just mystifies people um even people that aren't really into hunting in general archery is just fun like people love doing it it's just a lot of fun so mm -hmm. um that's really cool so i guess let, let's go back a little bit i want to kind of go back to the fact that you're a black belt in jujitsu that's outstanding how many years did it take for you to get your black belt i started in 2006 uh, with, in London, uh, and I received my black belt in 2015 from Hensel Gracie in New York. Uh, so let me just point that out. And then once the you get your black belt, you get a degree. Yeah. Oh. I'm here. Um, so okay. I right. wanted Good to job. point out just to people that don't understand the intensity of jujitsu first of all um i started i've done a little bit of training i'm still white belt you know just getting stripes and stuff but i haven't delved into it as hard as i want to because we've got other sports with kids etc um that i dedicate my time coaching but people need to understand that a, when you see someone that has even a, a blue or a purple belt um that is not easy that is not easily attainable no uh, it takes not only skill it takes time because you can be as skilled and try and fly through it as fast as you want. 
that doesn't matter. There's a certain amount of time that goes behind the training. So nine years, and that's nine years of dedicated training. That's not nine years of going maybe once a week or every other week. That's nine years of dedicated time that you've spent on the mat, rolling around with sweaty human beings in pajamas. And uh, what would you call it? Murder, pajama murder. You know, I mean, it really yeah. is. It's uh, it's pretty, it's pretty S- simulated murder, simulated yeah. murder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can call um, it that simulated. Yeah. It's not, it's not a, yeah. Or yoga with folding clothes, with pajama, whatever it is, uh, you know, within a rule set, you know, so we don't have weapons. We don't have knives and I've been training uh, sport jujitsu. So mm-hmm. it's very much uh, based on this competitive rule set. You can't pull fingers. You can't, you know, kick and punch or scratch and bite so it's not it's it it has to be looked at within that sport jujitsu competitive rule Mm -hmm. set of course it's going to be helpful you're going to have better if you have that if you ever do get into a fight in self-defense but it's um you know it's it's not mma it's not it's not street fighting it's uh but it is uh it can be grueling and and i've gotten my ass kicked a lot if you ever see someone they're like oh i do jujitsu i kick everyone's ass well then uh you know don't you, you, I've gotten beat up a lot, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot. Um, and it was also really important to me, especially after I moved back to St. Martin, to compete because I really wanted to test myself against people. My my weight, my my gender, my level, like you know, and especially as a as a female and a masters competitor. Once I added the masters category, I had to go to the competitions, to the worlds, the Pan Ams, the Euros to get actually have fights and have, have legitimate fights. So, um, and it was really important for me to test myself and also to test myself in Brazil. So I went to Brazil a few times um, to train, to study and, and to compete. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of my, the base, the whole kind of format of my kids program is based on, on a black belt that I trained with in Brazil. Uh, his nickname is Zebeleza Leal Teixeira. He has a huge kids program. He taught many of the, the current world champions were, you know, little kids, yellow belts in his program. Um, so I learned how he ran his successful program, everything from, you know, parents aren't watching class, promotion ceremonies, you know, the, uh, progress reports for the kids, taking that kind of format and structure and curriculum to, to my kids program. And I went from one age group of all the kids all together to three very specific age groups so I could focus. And I teach the five and six year olds very differently than the seven to nine year olds, very differently than the 10 to 13 year olds. Uh, and, you know, so I could be a lot more specific in, in all of those programs. Um, and I really, really am a strong believer in that uh, martial arts and really any sports that kids do is going to give them more resilience, more confidence by learning difficult skills, by seeing something like, whoa, that's difficult, I can't do it. And then realizing, hey, let me try, let me learn, let me get mm-hmm. through this. And also working with each other. I've had parents, oh, I want my kids to learn and I want to put them in private lessons. I'm like, well, he's not going to learn. You know, like in kickboxing, they have to hold the pads for each other and they have to learn mm-hmm. how to get along. And like you had to get along with difficult people at work and at life and school, you know, you have to, so the kids are learning it from a very young age and, um, and developing their, their grit and their resilience. Um, and jujitsu is such a humbling sport. You know, if you lose your, your football match, your soccer match and the team loses, okay, bummer. 
when you submit and you tap and you say like, I tried my hardest and this person got the better of me and you are, you're literally submitting. Like they, they just stole a piece of your soul, mm-hmm. you know, if you really are put, putting your heart into it. Um, so it's a, it's a tough life lesson for, for kids to, you know, to learn to win and lose and also win humbly and say, Hey, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, uh, I caught you because you did this. And if you didn't, you know, and seeing how kids work together and help each other, um, has been really awesome. And now I've been doing it for 12 years. So I see kids, you know, that are, you know, grown and captaining boats and they were my kid, you know, they were my students when they were little. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty neat to. Yeah, I feel like a celebrity if I pick up my nephews from school. It's like, high five, high five. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's... So, uh, but I've had kids. I've had kids. I was going to say, it's uh, with jujitsu, you know, I, I putting my son in there. Um, it's in wrestling, too, is a, is a good one for kids. Um, but kids need to learn, women and, and girls as well, but especially young men that have all this energy and are aggressive naturally. You don't want to suppress that. You want them to find healthy ways to channel it because what suppressing it does is it just creates all these other issues of ADHD and all these other medical things that, Mm -hmm. that they want to put labels on, uh, you know, tension deficit disorder, or, um, what's the other one? Uh, defiance. There's a oppositional defiance disorder, which they tried to label my son with. I'm like, no, he's just a strong year. He's just a strong willed eight year old. That wants to argue and understand everything. And so I don't want to suppress mm-hmm. that. I want him to grow and learn how to use those strong emotions because one day they're going to be valuable. Right now they're frustrating because they're in my house and he's not listening mm-hmm. to my rules. But one day it's going to be useful for him to have all that energy mm-hmm. and want to question and learn and do all these things. Yeah. So jujitsu is definitely a big one because I know for me personally, um, when I, when I've gone and trained, uh, and I train with people bigger than me, smaller than me, same age, uh, same size, et cetera. Um, when the guys are on me, even that are my size or bigger, and just the simple fact of someone else's body weight being on top of you and crushing your lungs. So you can't breathe. They don't even have to be doing anything, mm-hmm. but just putting that constant mm-hmm. pressure into the mat and you're in between them and the mat. Um, it's mm-hmm. not comfortable. And so you know, learning how to be in those uncomfortable situations and heaven forbid you ever have to be in a situation where one, you're uncomfortable, but two, someone put hands on you, um, knowing mm-hmm. how to react rather than freeze up, uh, or just flailing out is a big deal, uh, for me, yeah. you know? And so yeah. for me and my kids and, and again, going off towards your experience and, and for women in general, I want my daughter's. Mm-hmm and my wife to be prepared so that when I'm not around and I'm not able to defend them in that very moment, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to get there as soon as possible, but if I'm not there, what are they going to be able to do to defend themselves until I do get there? Right. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, or when they do go off to college or whatever it is, you know, um, and that, that's where, that's where jujitsu for me falls into, into play. Um, I'm not 100% into the whole competitive, like, getting the black belt and everything. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's super kudos to you on that. But even just a practical standpoint of learning that uncomfortability, Mm -hmm. being comfortable in those uncomfortable moments, 
um, when someone's sweating on your face mm -hmm. as they're trying to crush you into like, it's just not comfortable mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. No. And, and good, good jujitsu is painful for the other person. If someone is comfortable, you're, mm -hmm. you're not, you're not doing it right. And I think you can develop your tolerance for being uncomfortable, your tolerance for pain and, and, you know, jujitsu and martial arts and wrestling it, that increases that you can, push through uncomfortable things because you can do anything for, you know, for five minutes or, or for the round. Um, but you had mentioned earlier about uh, ADD and ADHD. Um, I think training martial arts and archery and firearms is fantastic for that because for a couple of reasons, one, when someone is literally squishing you and they're on mount and you, you feel like you can't breathe, you can't think of anything else except what is happening right there and finding, okay, I need to, you know, get a wedge here and shrimp. Like if you, you can find your, your, you know, light at the end of the tunnel and keep working through it up until the point where you can't and you have to decide to tap. But even with archery as well, you, when I'm drawn back and I'm focused on my, you know, my peep and my pin, you can't your my my mental chatter is silence and i think i also got that from firearms because when you're shooting and i'm focused on my front sight or my red dot all of my mental chatter is silenced it's gone like i'll do a power yoga class and i'm just laundry lists of shopping and laundry and this and that like it's hard to to focus in your own mind but mm -hmm. archery shooting jujitsu you you it brings you back in and i had a I once had a little boy who had super, super ADHD. Like he couldn't like when we'd start class and bow in, he couldn't stand still. And I got kind of frustrated with a bigger class that I could handle and no assistant coach. I'm like, all right, we're just going to spar. And that kid went from being almost impossible. My mom used to help me with, with the admin. And she was like, you got to tell his parents that you, you can't handle them anymore. I'm like, started sparring and then this kid made a connection between paying attention to the technique and winning when he was sparring mm. and it just was an instant shift by him wanting to win in sparring to him say i want to rep this armbar drill over and over mm. and over again so i can use it you know when we spar and then the kid went from being my most difficult student to like coach i use the move of the day in sparring <laughs> um and it was just and, and i've heard this from from a lot of of men, of grown men who found that martial arts training helped them through, you know, through ADHD. And a lot of these kids that have ADHD, like, you know, they can't focus in school, but they can focus on their video games. They can focus on what they, what they love doing. So as long as you can kind of channel and give them something productive that they can have measurable results and get better and better at. Pardon the brief interruption here, but I want to mentioned to you guys a shout out here of the amazing partners and just sponsors of the show. These companies are outstanding. I choose to work with certain companies because I know they line up with my beliefs, my standards. They will provide outstanding gear and I want to give you guys a discount. That's why I provide the links down below, the codes down below, so you guys can check it out every single podcast, see any updated codes or links. So check these out, guys. First and foremost, of course, First Form and First Form Outdoors. Go check those guys out. And, of course, go check out the group on Facebook. I want you to be a part of that. Also, Alpen Fuel and Heather's Choice are my go-to meals for the backcountry. Black Ovis. Now we've got a code for you guys, Redbeard10. Definitely check out blackovis.com and go get your gear, guys, before it's too late. All in digiscoping. 
be coming out with a bino harness adapt or a bino adapter here pretty soon i'm really excited about that guys if you saw them at any of the tack events you know it's great so definitely go check out all in use code redbeard initial ascent another great backpacking company uh, this backpack is got my vote uh, code redbeard guys for that partnership go check them out get your backpack and get ready to pack out some heavy meat this fall a3 archery bowstrings cryptech kestrel glassing systems quattro archery stabilizers dark energy go ruck sheep feet custom orthotics absolute aid cbd my medic affect beard oil my favorite bino harness is the muley freak game changer definitely go check them out and bow hunters united an amazing group of individuals trying to continue the fight for your rights as bow hunters joy bees if you want to upgrade from your crocs definitely go check out joy bees and get those uh that cryptech pattern guys it's pretty sweet so with that being said now let's get back to the conversation with melissa um yeah and it's hard measurable results for jiu-jitsu unless you're competing because you're in a room where everyone's getting better where mm -hmm. everyone just learned that technique you know at the same time so it's hard to match yourself with with people of different weights of different ages and did you get a good night's sleep it's a lot it's not as measurable as okay how many plates am i lifting up or you know accuracy exactly. but exactly no and i, I it's, agree. it's a much long it's it's is a long road. Jiu-Jitsu is a very, very long road and it's endless and it's such a cliche, but once you get a black belt, you're a white belt again. Because I'm literally, I'm, a, I'm the same rank as, as my professors and all these world champions. And I, I'm not, I'm a white belt compared to, to most black belts, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it, you can never think it's, uh, you know, you're there. And the other thing too, is it's a very perishable skill. Mm. You know, if you're not training relentlessly, uh, skills diminish pretty quickly. Your timing diminishes. You know, it's it's a hard it's a hard sport, and it's a really hard sport to take a break from and come back. Um, and it's also a very injury prone sport too. It's really hard to do jujitsu and not have a, a laundry list uh, of injuries. And one of the reasons I got into jujitsu is I, I broke my ankle very badly when I was 21. So. Medial malleolus, lateral malleolus, and tibia. It was an open fracture. Wow. Just mangled my, my ankle. So my first jiu-jitsu class, and I've been doing other martial arts, and my mindset from the first martial art I did, which is a very military-based martial art where you don't complain, you don't say you can't, you just do, do the best you can, even if you're injured. Uh, and I ran my first lap. They had people warming up by jogging, and I'm jogging, and then professors said, hey, Melissa, why are you limping? And I said, well, you know, here's this angle point to the scars. He said, why, why would you even try and run? Look, warm up with a rowing machine. And that was the very first class, like half a circle around. He noticed I was limping. And I was like, okay, this is, this is a good instructor. This is, this is, my, this is my home. This is what I'm going to do. Good. And the first time I went to New York to train at Henzo Gracie Academy, very first day I got put to sleep on the mat with another blue belt guy. I was like, okay. This is my place. So I'm here. <laughs> <clears throat> that's so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Still keep coming back. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And yeah. what a lot of people too don't understand is that honestly, like getting choked out is as long as they release you pretty soon after you go out, it's a pretty safe way to be submitted. Um, 
you know, a lot of people don't understand that. They think that's terrible, but it's, it's really not. It's one of the safer things that you can do to submit somebody uh, without injuring yeah. them severely. So, uh, yeah. but that, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. And I'm sure it wasn't a fun experience to black out and then wake up with people looking over you like, what happened? Like, <laughs> It's it's embarrassing. It's more embarrassing than, than anything else. And mm. uh, and it was so hot and so sweaty. At first, I almost thought I thought that I just like overheated and, and passed out. And it was uh, really, you know, I look I was new there. So I look around the room and I found this really small blue belt guy. I was like, okay, I'll train, train with him. His name was Felipe. And he caught me with like a loop, a gi choke. So with the, mm. with you, I mean, you know, you wear a kimono. So it has like basically a murderous rope. And you can use mm. that to strangle people. And he caught me with a really tricky loop choke. And then he mm. caught me a second time. And then I said to him, I was like, you're not catching me with that again. And he caught me with that again, of course, because I walked right into it. And I, I remember trying, okay, let me just try and move this way. And that was the last, the last thing yeah. I remember. But I've been subsequently put to sleep a few times and put other people to sleep. And you're right. It's, uh, it's more embarrassing uh, it's, it's a real, almost like a, you know, the first thing that comes back is your hearing before your vision. Mm. So I've been like on the floor. It's like, Oh, that just ha happened. And then the vision <laughs> comes back and it's just like, Oh, <laughs> like yeah. I hope nobody saw that, but yeah, it's, it's, it's better than having, you know, your, mm -hmm. your, your bones and ligaments and tendons snap. Um, there's a lot, a lot more, um, you know, but I think falling body weight and getting kicked or hit by other people on the mat is uh, mm. two big kind of uh, ways to get injured in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, so. no, for sure. But yeah, so yeah, no, that's and and again, this is a definitely a, a plug for jujitsu because it's it it teaches discipline. It's um, honestly, you know, obviously a lot safer in my opinion than boxing and things like that. Yes, you get injuries, but. Uh, it's, it's a great sport to learn discipline, to learn, to be hands-on, uh, to put yourself in uncomfortable positions and, uh, learn how to escape from them. And there's a mental game to it too, that a lot of people don't understand. You can't force your way out of certain situations and most of them, um, unless you're like 200 pounds heavier than the other person, you can't really muscle your way out of a lot mm -hmm. of stuff. Uh, I learned that firsthand my first time going to jujitsu class. You know, of course, I have a little chip on my shoulder like, oh, you know, I lift weights. I'm a strong dude, you know, and uh, and I go in there and um, and I got someone in, in my guard and they were trying to do they were trying to get out of it and everything. And of course, when you're in your guard, you know, your feet are locked together. And I was squeezing the life out of him in my guard like he did not. He couldn't break my guard. He picked me up like all this stuff. Couldn't do it. And that's really all I knew. I didn't know a ton of other moves from my back. And uh, that next day and the day after, my calves were on fire. They were just dead. I couldn't walk because, yeah. you know, I muscled my way through that and it I didn't get anything done and he couldn't get anything done. So it's just more frustrating than anything. But mm -hmm. um, you definitely suffer if you try and, and muscle your way through uh, through moves and jujitsu. Mm -hmm. That that's for sure. So um, but mm -hmm. again, that that discipline like you were saying it translates over into archery as well. And I love that. Again, you, you recognized there's many benefits to archery and then you, you've fallen in love with this whole tack idea. Um, and if obviously you were closer, I'd say even come to some mountain archery fests, which are a lot of fun as well. Definitely a lot more low key. Um, they don't have as many vendors and, and big names necessarily, but 
Uh, they're a lot of fun. I bring my kids up to them. The vendor village is nice. It's just, it's a great event, Mountain Archery Fest. But you're very right. Even when people keep score at Total Archery Challenge, it's even for fun. Like you're just, you're talking trash the entire time. It's not yeah. big stakes like when you go to a tournament or everyone gets quiet. You like what you were saying at, at tournament events. It's, mm -hmm. uh, you kind of have some understood rules that it's okay to mess with each other and talk crap and all that throughout the entire event. Cause you're going to, everyone's going to mess up. You're going to have some time where you don't, uh, you know, you don't dial your sight right. And your arrow flies over the target or flies under it. You know, all of those things happen because mm -hmm. you're, you're out there and it, it's good to get dialed in that way because when you're out in the mountain and an elk walks out or your deer of choice, whatever walks out, um, you're, mm -hmm. you're going to have those things racing through your mind too. You may not have your buddy poking you with an arrow, but you're going to have flies or you're going to have, uh, you know, a bunch of other stuff going on that you're not necessarily going to remember to dial mm -hmm. your sight or, uh, to, you know, whatever it may be, you mm -hmm. can mess up on anything. And so, um, the only thing I, I would say that the only thing we don't do to mess with each other is, if we see that someone doesn't have an arrow knocked and they're about to draw, we'll say, wait, hold on. Like, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't forget about the arrow. Yeah. I've, I've heard please, there are, please, please yell at me. Please yell at yes, me. Yes, exactly. Other than that though, yeah, uh, it's that, all, you, it's, please yell at me. Yeah, exactly. It's all fair game. Uh, other than that though. Yeah. And it, it's so much fun. And, and there was times where this last mountain archery fest, um, and I, my, I know he listens to the podcast, so hopefully he hears this part, but I won't call his name out, but, uh, we were sitting there, we were shooting. It was my birthday and I'd shot. Okay. I shot pretty decent, um, came in fifth in the tournament, you know, et cetera. And then we go up to go shoot our, just a course and me and my buddy and uh, another guy we were with, he, he was, they were all like, Hey, you want to put money on this? So I was like, sure. You know, 20 bucks, whatever. And, uh, and my first two shots were 12 rings. And, and they were like, did you just shark us? Like what? <laughs> and it's funny because I noticed that for me personally, when I've got a camera in my face or like you saw, our buddies are slapping us with arrows, talking crap the whole time. Mm -hmm. I seem to almost dial in because I have trained that way. Um, I get mm -hmm. better, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I assume it's similar with jujitsu, yeah. but that's what those events are really mm -hmm. good for if you treat them the way they're supposed to, and you don't just like everyone yeah. hush when you shoot, like you give each other crap and all that you, mm -hmm. you train, you have fun, but you're really training your mind at the same time to focus in on, on what you're doing with all the distractions mm. around you. Um, it sounds like you found that yeah. same, same thing as well. Yeah. 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 And especially after doing a couple tacks and then actually having the opportunity to go bow hunting, uh, really changed how I shoot. And after uh, trying a, a mule deer in Arizona, I was like, I need to shoot faster. I need to draw <laughs> back an anchor and, and, and send it because he didn't have, have time to, to wait. And that really changed mm -hmm. how, I, uh, how I shoot. To have that in mind that I need every time I'm practicing, like just send it and not try and over aim. And I went through uh, Joel Turner's shot IQ uh, process. And I loved how he talked about like the aiming room as like, he had like that nightclub analogy where mm -hmm. it's like, it's a party and it wants to bring you back and close the door. You don't need to go back in the aiming room. And it, and it makes perfect sense. We aiming is, we naturally aim, you know, as long as I'm um, aim small, 
this small and I'm aiming for this, you know, that, that. Exactly. For me, what I've been is, is, and I, the ten, I just really love that I'm really kind of working through right now. Um, and it's, it's endless how, and then after tax season, uh, you know, throw on broadheads and, and get used to, you know, be humbled by shooting broadheads again. Cause that was a big change for me. I realized that after tack, I was going to, you know, take off a long stabilizer and get focused on, you know, picking what broadhead I wanted to shoot. And, uh, and that was humbling because I went from, you know, my, my shock group and my accuracy at 80 yards was now my shock group at 40 yards with, uh, with mm-hmm. broadheads until I found what, what really worked for me. Um, but yeah. Um, and my, my first experience, um, bow hunting first, I want to, it started with the first time I ate elk, uh, a friend of mine who was a really, really good snowboarder, a uh, mutual friend in, in uh, Wyoming introduced us. And uh, we had done a, a ski mobile trip and he brought, uh, you know, elk and trout that he had caught and smoked and, you know, brought an elk stew that he, you know, that he had harvested. And I was just like, that is so cool. And he was a hunting guide and kept in touch with him and was initially supposed to go and just tag along with one of his hunter, one of his hunts and just learn and just be there, just kind of apprentice and, and help glass. And uh, when I ended up talking to the outfitter, they had a cancellation and uh, I jumped on it. Um, so instead of just going and tagging along with a hunter, I was like, let me just, let me just do it and be the hunter. Uh, so that's how I got to go on my, my first elk hunt. And that was in New Mexico. Um, and I was there for the experience uh, to be out in nature, to kind of reconnect to, to, you know, just, just to nature and, and the higher spirit of, of this amazing earth. Um, so that was kind of my focus was the experience and to do it and to have the meat. Uh, and uh, it was the beginning of the rut. So they weren't running every afternoon was at a watering hole. It was quiet. And they, everyone tried to talk me out of it. Like, your chance, you know, it's slim chances. It's, you know, manage your expectations. I'm doing this. Um, and uh, I had a shot opportunity at a magnificent bull. Uh, I was waiting at a watering hole and I, you know, I ranged it. I had a single pin slider. The water was at 30 yards. I was in my little hide made of cedar. And there he came exactly as we thought he would. And he walked up and he stopped broadside to me at like 50, 60 yards and just stopped and stared straight at me, broadhead. And I was like, ah, and I just sent it. It just <laughs> hit the ground in front of him. He just was like, snorted and kind of trotted off. Like, little girl, like, you are no threat to me. Like, he didn't even run. He was just like, whatever. And, oh, I was devastated. I was so upset. Like, I cried so hard because uh, it was all me. It was completely, totally my fault. My nerves weren't there. I just, I just blew it completely um, and had a while to marinate and think about it. And also felt so bad because this was a guided hunt. And so my guide radioed like, hey, Mel, like, how's it going? I missed, you know, and like he, after spending so much time with someone, like, I don't need to fake it and pretend that I'm, you know, not upset. And that's mm-hmm. what I think what I love about people that are so real is you, 
you don't need to, you can just be yourself because they, you know, you can see through it with people aren't. Um, I got back to the, you know, the lodge and the other guy, another guide was like, so how was your breathing? What was your breathing like? I was like, I, I for sure I was holding my breath and I had to close my one eye and I couldn't like, I just, it was a mess. So I had a few days to marinate on it and marinate on why I was there and why I wanted to be there and, and what this elk meant to me and, and our ancestors. And on the very last night of the hunt, I was waiting at the same watering hole. We heard them bugling from far, like off in the distance, like got up and went and spot and stalked. And, um, and I ended up harvesting the same bull um, because we had seen him in uh, on trail cams and he was mm. the same bull and I got him at 63 yards. And this time as I was waiting, I, I arranged the clearing where we hoped he would be, where I had a shooting range and I got a knee and I, I was already dialed to 60 and, uh, and, Sure enough, he walked through there and I, I drew, I already had my bow hand set and I did my double inhale, my long exhale, I anchored and I sent it. And you know, when you shoot, when it feels, it, my arrow went exactly where I aimed and double lung. And it was just uh, absolutely like time stood still. And that, you know, that anticipation, like, okay, it just, it happened. And it, I, I, I'm like, almost like I was tripping. You know, and then the guy's like, okay, you got him double long. Like he was excited already. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it happened. A bunch of cow elk ran where I, I just ran around us, like just a stampede of cows. Where I was like, where did they come from? It just like, uh, and then following the blood trail was just like, it was already getting dark. And it was like, I did this in Hunter's Ed, you know, but with, with food coloring. Um, and then when we finally found him and saw him, that's when I started just, that's when it really just the um, severity of life and death really hits because like, this is a beautiful animal that I just took. I just killed this animal so that I could, sh that, that we could eat this meat and share it with my, you know. Um, and uh, it was just a, a, a wild roller coaster of, of emotion and experience experience and um i still when i would tell the story i would still cry i'm glad i, I made it through and not not <laughs> cried right now but like it was so so emotional um and um yeah and he was a beautiful beautiful bull and um it was such a powerful process um and the pack out was easy because it was uh, on, on ranch land. So drove a truck right in. The truck had a winch. You know, people, I sent pictures. And people were like, ha ha, how was that pack out? Like, <laughs> truck. So I, I missed that part of the experience of that, of the grueling pack out. But uh, hold my beer. It's going to happen soon. Yeah. Um, but it was just wild. And I learned so much uh, from my guide and how much knowledge and experience he and, and the team of guides um, have um, and it, it's just it's overwhelming and I remember laughing out loud because I went into this hunt like I want to do this by myself I want to learn how to hunt solo and it was like man I'm so far from being able to hunt an elk by myself <laughs> like it's a, I'm not that big to carry one out in the first mm -hmm. place but um, yeah so it was wild so he <clears throat> it, it's really like it's, it's like cheating when you have a guide because he did all the work all I did was send the arrow um, but just through that process and the whole week uh, there were a bunch of times where I was surrounded by cows 
Mm. Like just all around so close. I could see the dew on their nose and just sitting perfectly still until like your legs and your ankles and knees are just dying, but like staying perfectly still. And I kind of felt like the cows knew I didn't want to hunt them. Mm -hmm. They knew they were safe around me. I was one of them. Like, and towards the end of the hunt, I had a, a either sex tag. So I could have, I could have shot a cow elk. And some of the guys were like, you know, Mel, you know, you should think about shooting a cow because then you'll have all the meat. And it was like, no, they're so, the way they move was just so, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I'm not that much of a hunter. I'm not, mm. not a killer, you know, I, but the, the, the bulls, like, they had a different energy that made them, I don't know, more, more shootable. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to, you know, they joked that I was a, a man hater or something, but it's like, no, it's a, it's, I can't, <laughs> where my heart is for wanting to shoot shoot a bull and uh the meat pre we ended up because it was the last in the hunt brought him to a meat processor and they found another uh broadhead i put it here another broadhead mm. was inside of him wow so when they so some already taken a taken a shot on him and and mine went uh, through both lungs uh hit the clavicle and and we found my my uh my broadhead cleaning him too um so wow. and it, there he is up there so, that's an amazing, yeah, that, that's an amazing and in my freezer, experience. Still, so. It's a lot of meat. It's a lot of yeah, meat for, really, especially uh, for one person to go. It through. is, it is. I gave a lot away. I gave a lot to the guides and, and people that worked at the outfitter and had a bunch made into sausage and um, yeah. And I learned, I'm learning how to cook um, because I've never been big on, um, on cooking meat. So I got a sous vide machine and, and, you know, learning. So I got a, a stripe on my, my chef white belt, maybe one stripe <laughs> stripe <laughs> on my cooking, That's awesome. cooking skills. So. I, I just want to highlight, like, I know you luckily, said, yeah, luckily I have some great. I was just going to say, I, I know you, you said using an outfitter is very, uh, it's almost like cheating. I would, I, I understand what you're getting at with that, but at the same time, it's definitely a great way to get into hunting, especially when you don't have a group of individuals that you know, that know the area that could give you a good experience. Cause mm -hmm. it really can get frustrating. If you get out there and you don't see anything, you don't even really know what to look for necessarily. Like it looks different on a computer screen than it does in person. There's a lot of stuff that you can kind of skip that learning curve by going with a guide and having the experience of harvesting an animal. Um, and then they can kind of teach you and walk you through that process. And now you're, you're ready to go on your own. Um, you know, that's, that, that's definitely, I, I recommend it to people, especially if you have the opportunity to go to even Texas um, and go and and you can pay, basically it's pay to play in Texas. And so if you, if you can go down and hunt pigs, hunt turkeys, hunt whitetail um, or hogs, you know, whatever, uh, those are always great opportunities to get those reps in the red zone um, as you would say, so you can get, you can understand how it feels to have an animal in front of you and you're about to take that animal's life. Mm -hmm. Like there's something that happens in our yeah. bodies, unless you're a, unless you're a sociopath, um, there's something that happens to where you recognize you're taking a life and whether you're consciously mm -hmm. thinking I'm taking that life or not, there's, you know, you can call it whatever you want, buck fever, all these other things that happen, you need to understand what's about to happen so that when like what happened with you, 
you don't go out there and the big bull, the biggest bull you've ever seen walks out and you just jerk the trigger and the arrow flies and freak out. You know, it, right. Exactly. Blackout. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's good to get those reps in even using an outfitter. Again, mm -hmm. it's like, it's a great way to get into it and learn and learn how you react whenever mm -hmm. you do kill an animal. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a lot of emotions yeah. that go behind taking a, the life of an animal. And a lot of people don't understand that they see the excitement. They see when people celebrate, which it's a celebration of all the e-scouting, all of the boots on the ground, all of the work that you've put in. It's not necessarily a celebration that you killed something. And I, I don't think that a lot of people understand that, but you're yeah. celebrating all the work that you've put in and then the success. And then anyone that I've hunted with and that I know, at least that I keep close to me, when they get up to the animal, they either offer some kind of prayer or something similar meditation mm -hmm. just for a moment because they it's a very solemn moment walking up on an animal and yeah. recognizing that you've taken that life. Um, those are usually yeah. very quiet moments um, and just kind of let let the person who killed the animal have a moment with that animal because it's uh, yeah. they may not be sentient beings like us humans, but they are mm -hmm. they are a being on this earth and uh, and they're providing for us. And so, yeah, anyway, there's there's a connection there. And so I yeah. love that you highlighted all of those those points. Um, and you answered my question. I was going to ask you about the Euro mountain up there. That's, that's pretty cool. You turned it into a light for your, for your living room. That's pretty yeah, awesome. Well, we put the, we put the led inside of them to, uh, I thought it might look a little creepy at night. <laughs> it, it might, might scare a child, but, uh, I like them up there. And yes, I did to get, I got to have a, a long, long moment with, with my, with my, my elk teacher. Um, you know, when my guide went to go, go get the, you know, find, find, get the truck and, you know, they were like, I'll, I'll just stay here. I'm going to stay here yeah. and, and just uh, take in the the severity of life and death because we're all going to die. Just how and how and when is is the question. And I also, I think, was heavily influenced by other bow hunters that were like, well, you have to take a bite out of the heart. Like, you have to do that. That's, you know, required. And so, of, of course, I did. And, uh, you know, it's my first, my first kill ever. And then afterwards, I was like, doesn't everyone they're like no <laughs> they're like well we did as guides and our kids did but yeah. not not average hunters so so my my poor mom and, and brother like my mom saw you know i sent a photo of my brother i had blood on my face and like, oh man and then that ended up getting um published in hunting pool i wrote an article mm -hmm. about it and i sent them you know, they said you know send as many photos as possible and this was honestly the easiest article easiest piece of anything I've ever written because I just poured my heart out and um and it ended up being published in uh, Hunt and Fool magazine oh, and awesome. uh and then uh through that an outfitter from Alaska uh sent me a quick email saying you know that was a nice story and I could see you know it was very heartfelt and good luck for all of your hunting and I you know googled them and googled the outfitter and replied back hey if you ever an apprentice and uh sure enough I'm going to be going to Alaska as a packer on a doll sheep hunt this August. Um, so I'll be, uh, you know, assisting another hunter. Um, and after my, my, my elk hunt, I stayed another week uh, with the outfitter and just kind of tagged along uh, with the guides, helping the glass, just trying to, to learn. And I was still kind of high on elk. I wasn't ready to go home. Um, so mm -hmm. just staying there and uh, seeing, 
you know, hearing the communication between the guide with the radio, you know, us glassing, the guide on the ground and the hunter and how hard they have to hustle, where they had to be and kind of mm -hmm. just the strategy of it from that kind of bird's eye view and, and learning to glass because glassing is hard. You know, mm -hmm. I'd be like, I see one. No, it's a tree. I see a rock. <laughs> no, you know, I see, no, that's a, that's a moo cow, not a regular cow. Yeah. So it takes a, you know, the experienced guides have been doing it for a long time. Like that's a lot, you know, it take, takes time to, to develop those, those skills. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll be going as a packer, assisting the guide for a hunter's, you know, hunt of a lifetime for doll sheep in Alaska. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and again, so just going back to, I have kinda, a, a bunch. I was just going back to who you are speaking to your character. Uh, I just want to highlight that guys. I mean, Alaska doll sheep is probably one of the most grueling uh, physical hunts you're going to go on and you're not even going to hunt. You're going to help someone else pack their own stuff out. So that is awesome. And again, you're just uh, you're one of those people yeah. that just you see something, you want it and you go after it like you don't let things hold you back. Um, I remember we were talking about your gear list a little bit because they've sent you a gear list mm -hmm. of things that you're going going after uh, before you go up on this hunt. So, you know, that's going to be an awesome experience. Um, I'm kind of jealous, kind of not jealous about the physicality of it, but I'm jealous about the experience you're going to mm -hmm. have. Uh, and and I haven't quite caught the sheep bug. Mm -hmm. But I know it's probably going to happen one day. <laughs> so uh, you're going to have a, a great, great experience up there. That's going to be awesome. Um, so we're we're coming up on the hour that I promised you here. I want to know, what would you leave okay. with, I guess, anyone that is getting into archery, uh, jujitsu, hunting, outdoors kind of stuff? Uh, maybe speak to generalities and then speak to the women and young women out there that are, that are looking to do the same. Um, I would say one to make sure that you love the process, make sure that you love, you know, sending every arrow and how that feels to get better and better. Um, and, you know, to not stagnate, to keep, keep pushing yourself, keep, you know, keep working on that process of, of improving. And with something like jujitsu, uh, you know, just keep going be careful, don't get hurt. With jujitsu, it's a hard thing of, you know, pushing yourself and knowing the difference between being hurt and being injured. Because I definitely was injured and pushed myself through training and got more injured when time, there may be times in jujitsu where the best and healthiest thing is to stay off the mat, you know, like, unless you want, if your ear is swollen and you get cauliflower ear, you got to stop training or it's going to be worse. <laughs> You're going to be, be stuck with it. And that's just, an, that's not really being injured, but well, I guess it is. But yeah, so being kind to yourself with, with that struggle and also pushing yourself. If you're just tired and lazy, push through it. And you're usually never going to be upset that you went to class. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, how did I almost skip training today? And it was, mm -hmm. it was awesome when you push through it. Um, and as far as women, I think, first of all, don't be uh, afraid uh, like I came into archery and shooting and bow hunting, knowing absolutely nothing. And I still know absolutely nothing, but there's so much uh, knowledge and good people to, you know, 
to gain. Um, I learned so much from from uh, from John Dudley from from Knock On, from watching all of his videos. And I remember when I started, I watched his videos, and then you know, three four months later after shooting, I watched the same videos again, and it was like you know, light bulbs and fireworks. It is actually you know starting to make sense. So there's a lot of good information out there. Um, I think for a woman going on a guided hunt is going to be um, safe and reputable. I mean, there, when I first started, I had guys, Oh, oh you come to my cabin. We'll go hunting. Like, I, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, it's um, so that kind of barrier of, of, of being a female in this sport, but also I want to say for total archery challenge, and I'm sure mountain fest will be the same thing. You can shoot at whatever distance you're comfortable with. I've shot with, with families, the wife who, who, whose bow only made it to 30 yards. So every target we would shoot, we would move up 30. And like, we were just as psyched for her to hit it at 30 as we were from, from 80, whether, you know, so no matter what your skill level, you can still do it. Because if you know you're going to lose an arrow at 60, then okay, shoot it from 50 or whatever. That, so don't be afraid of, of signing up for something like, like TAC or, or Mountain Archery Fest. Um, because it is, everyone wants you to do your best, you know. Um, yeah, and, and love the process of it because it, I think it's been, uh, being a female shooting tack, uh, you see other girls, you're like, Hey, how's it going? Where are you from? Like we really, um, they're very supportive of each other. And I just by chance and synchronicity, I got to shoot in um, Vermont with, uh, New England sports women. So there's a group of, um, female hunters that go fishing and hunting and kind of support each other. And I had met them and chatted with them. And every time they did an event when I was living in New Hampshire, um, I, I was always working. So I didn't get to do any other events, but I had seen them and heard of them and thought how cool it was. And um, randomly just uh, doing the, the second course of the day and bumped into them. And I was like, hey, can I shoot with you? And it was like, so cool to shoot with, you know, with five other women, female, uh, you know, archers and bow hunters. And it was like, so cool to to see and see that community so i think i think we're growing we're a big uh growing demographic it's definitely a huge demographic in, in firearms a lot of women are are starting to to protect themselves and arm themselves and 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 that's a, a very interesting movement i've got to teach a lot of women's only classes um when i was teaching in new hampshire and it was they make excellent students they follow directions they like it it was really a joy to teach nothing against teaching co-ed classes but teaching an all women's firearms class was, is way easier um so um but yeah it's uh it's wide open so just find a good bow shop get a great get a bow tuned set to you and um and just do it awesome yeah i love that i love that that's great advice and and yeah, don't, don't be afraid to go out there and do it. Cause again, a lot of these places, they will even most people that I know, um, especially vendors or people, you know, in any kind of area, whether it be a content creator, um, or in the industry, they want and encourage more women to get into it. Um, there's, there's just something about archery that is outstanding for men and women, but, um, mm -hmm. women also don't really have the egos that seem to go along with, with the men. Um, there, there's a lot of ego in, in the outdoors industry with, with men specifically, mm -hmm. um, and almost carries over from like locker room culture in high school. It's kind of ridiculous, but, uh, mm -hmm. women don't seem to, women don't seem to have to deal with that for the most part. Uh, so mm -hmm. anyway, 
Um, great advice. Thank you so much. And again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate Thanks. you hopping on. We're going to have to follow up Thanks. and do another one when you come back from Alaska and uh, how that went. So we'll, we'll do a part two. Sure. Yep. Thanks. Thanks. And you know, just getting, I think the thing about bow hunting is it's so deeply personal. Like it's, you spend so much time alone with your thoughts that it's has nothing to do with anyone else in the outside world. It's you and your bow and that animal. Um, so it, it really kind of puts life into perspective, I think. Um, so that it's absolutely, you know, it's so cliche, but it's been absolutely life changing. And it's, it's a path that I kind of needed in my life to, to reconnect to nature, reconnect to, you know, the higher power of, of, of life and death. And, and, um, and there's nothing I'd rather be doing than send shooting arrows off after my bow. <laughs> That's awesome. So, but I thank you. Thank way. you for, um, thank you for the time. And thank you for also highlighting, um, you know, women in archery and bow hunting. Of course. Of course, I try so and do it whatever I can because I want the same yeah. for my daughter and or my daughters as they get into their whatever it is they end up doing. Of course, I'm going to encourage hunting and archery as much as I can. But whatever it is, I, I, I want women to have a voice for sure. Nice. Thank you for that. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to this conversation. Melissa is just a stud of an individual. I'm excited to hear more about her adventures. Guys, follow her on all of the the links down below so you can see her great adventures and see if it's something that you want to get involved in as well. And for all you women out there, she can definitely give you the information that you need. She is such a humble individual, loves doing what she does and wants to share that with others, which is why I brought her on the show just for you guys to be able to hear her story from her. And of course, learn from her as I have. And man, she's just an outstanding individual, just real down to earth. Awesome person. With that being said, guys, after you checked out her stuff, I want to, of course, invite you to check out the partners and sponsors of the show down below. If you want to support the show, go check out all of those codes down below. Whatever it may be, piece of item, gear, uh, supplementation, go check them out. I want you guys to get the best of the best and get it at the best price possible. And that's why I work with these different companies uh, that I've chosen to work with. Reminder as well with First Form. Anything that you order from First Form, you will get free shipping over 75 bucks. And on top of that, if you order something, maybe you're on the fence of a flavor or something like that, and you don't like it, email them back, let them know, and there's a 110% money back guarantee. I want to highlight that because I don't think it gets brought up enough. I want you to know that it's okay to try a flavor. You'll probably like it, but if you don't, let them know what's going on and they will take care of you over there at headquarters with customer service. Outside of that, guys, again, a quick shout out to the new partners of the show, Initial Ascent and Black Ovis. Guys, I'm really excited to bring them to you. Go check them out. And last but not least, as we continue growing the show, if you don't have the funds to purchase new gear or anything like that, uh, support monetarily. I 100% understand. I just simply ask, please leave a review of the podcast. Or if you're watching on YouTube, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. That would help a ton as we continue to grow, get new eyeballs into the to the community, and I really appreciate you guys. So with that being said, guys, thank you so much. Have an amazing rest of your day, and of course, get out, live your life, and love it.